Jonah Budd. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. Food costs are at a record high and more people than ever are relying on food banks. And yet somehow, at the same time, food wastage is at an all-time high. How is that even possible? I speak with an expert on food insecurity and just what some of the major challenges are and what can be done to address waste and insecurity at the same time. And in the same way that the pandemic affected food costs, it also did double the damage to youth in Canada. But likely due to technology, we are more connected than ever in the palm of our hands. I talk with someone with Kids Help Phone about how bad the situation is, what needs to be done to address it, and how the Kids Help Phone is making it even easier for the youth of Canada to get help. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help make you be at your best. Earth Day in Canada today on the 22nd of April, and uh, some time for us to kind of reflect on what the planet looks like, what how it's uh, how it's responding to our care, and maybe we should be looking at doing a little bit better job of uh, keeping track of everything and making sure that you know we have a we have a, a place for our grandchildren and our children to grow old and uh, make a life for themselves and still have some some. Uh, clean air to breathe and vegetables to eat and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't really, I try to avoid getting too hung up on the, on the negative part of it all because it can be pretty scary if you listen to the reports and read the statistics. But um, today's a good day to just keep track of uh, where you are in terms of keeping the earth safe and, uh, and vibrant for us and uh, for our children and grandchildren and their children for centuries and generations to come. And I would be remiss if I didn't give a quick yell out to the Toronto Maple Leafs, go Leafs, go, and uh, amazing goal with seconds left in the uh, first overtime period. So uh, if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan or a Canadian hockey fan, we're doing real good so far, guys, and uh, looking forward to uh, maybe taking this whole thing. Not a huge hockey fan, but I love to, you know, cheer and and uh, sort of rah, rah, the uh, – the, the, the teams that are Canadian teams when they're, you know, competing against international, uh, you know, foe and uh, other teams like in the uh, American part of the NHL and so on. So always nice to support your Canadian teams and do what you can to give them a shout out and some and, uh, some kudos for playing an incredible game tonight. So um, I want to spin here to a, to a conversation around schizophrenia. And the uh, concept of schizophrenia, if you're not sure what it is, have a listen to a clip here. This is Dr. Chris Somerville. He's the CEO of uh, Schizophrenia Society of Canada, talking a little bit about what it actually is. Leo? Schizophrenia is a form of psychosis in which a person has difficulty distinguishing what is real and what is not real. See a person and not an illness because a diagnosis is just that. It's a diagnosis. It's a label. It's not an identity. And so the more you get to know a person and see their heart, their hopes and dreams, then the less you will see a schizophrenic, so to speak. And again, we don't use that word. We say people living with schizophrenia. I'm not. So there you go. It's a quick understanding of uh, what schizophrenia is. Uh, And what we're talking about tonight is the impact of cannabis on young people. 
15 to 24 years of age, Canadian youth, the impact of marijuana cannabis on young people, in particular, the THC side of the cannabis plant. So there's two sides of it, right? The THC side, that's the part that gets you high. And the CBD side, which is the part that we think, uh, certainly I think, has tremendous um, uh, benefits to uh, care for mental illness, for pain and suffering, for all kinds of eating disorders, sleeping disorders. The CBD part of the plant has tremendous potential, uh, not just today, but into the future in terms of treating uh, all kinds of diseases, all kinds of of, uh, of things. I, and I've got, um, I use CBD to help control my my uh, my um, my ADD, my OCD, my anxiety disorder. I also use it to control pain, um, and it's remarkable the the work, the the benefit that it has. My ninety seven year old father does the same. Helps him a lot with his leg pain and uh, joint pain and so on. Uh, so there's a benefit to the to the cannabis plant for some, um, and used properly for others. Uh, but we're talking here about Canadian youth. Uh, youth in general, but Canadian youth in particular in this report and the impact that marijuana is having on uh, schizophrenia. So according to this report here on the 18th of April, it was announced that the Schizophrenia Society of Canada has received $978,000 in funding from Health Canada to support its uh, to support its national cannabis and mental health project. So they're starting to have a really good look at uh, what uh, impact marijuana has, or in this particular case, THC has on the mental health of our youth. The Canadian mental health, um, what we're talking about here is they're creating a course, a mental health cannabis and mental health course associated uh, with uh, resource and evidence-based uh, lived experience and exp- expertise, people with expertise and uh, with with youth and parents and educators and clinicians, all kinds of people together to form this this educational course, and uh, that's what the funding is going to be used for. And the project's critically important, so uh, we can understand how so many young people are dealing with uh, recreational cannabis and the impact that it's having on their mental health. And according to uh, again Chris Somerville, the CEO of Schizophrenia Society of Canada. With cannabis and mental health, we're getting evidence-based education into the hands of youth. So really trying to educate young people into, into understanding uh, the impact of marijuana, in particular THC, on their young minds. And uh, I can tell you after treating and working with hundreds of young uh, people who uh, consume cannabis, either to self-medicate or to... Uh, have some fun on the weekend. Um, it really can spin you out of control. That's not for everybody. Um, many many young people can certainly tolerate it. Many adults can tolerate it. And oh, by the way, marijuana is uh, in chill in kids is not just uh, the thing to think about here. Marijuana for anybody can create levels of psychosis. So uh, we need to understand that the, the it's a resource based program that they're trying to build. Um, it's an engaging curriculum, addressing the relationship between cannabis use and, and poor mental health in young people. And, and we know this, right? We know that schizophrenia and marijuana together, there's a potential for a trigger and it's also potential for treatment. So um, there's no single cause of the condition of schizophrenia in particular. It's complicated disease, uh, involves many factors. Genetics also play into it in a big way. Uh, viruses or poor nutrition before birth uh, might also have an impact on that type of mental health. And where we see key key brain chemicals, um, where you can more likely to get the disease based on 
the chemical imbalance in your brain. But we're, we're learning more and more about pot and psychosis. One thing that marijuana and psych- schizophrenia may have in common is the, is the psychosis, the, the part of uh, not really understanding the reality factor of where you are. So often marijuana will cause young people to, um, if they're not able to tolerate it, to get into a psychotic frame of mind where they're not really sure uh, what's real, what's not real. Uh, some hear voices, some um, are, are sort of poised to take their own lives. I mean, it's, it's not simply the marijuana that does it, but certainly brings it out for sure. Uh, you know, I had one family where a young person was smoking, you know, a couple of bong hits a day uh, from his, uh, from his, uh, in his room with mar- just marijuana off the street. And over a period of a couple of months became so psychotic that um, he tried to uh, hurt someone else and tried to hurt himself. Um, the connection between the weed and the psychosis um, are, you know, there is a link for sure, but we're, we're going to study some more. We're going to learn a little bit more about this later on in the show as well. See if throughout the course of the evening uh, you choose to want to join me. We can do that by calling 877-399-9898. We can talk about whether you think marijuana is having a negative impact on kids today any more so than it did when we were younger, right? Uh, But we're learning more. We're understanding more about how drugs impact us. And certainly marijuana, um, today's marijuana for sure, uh, has um, high uh, levels of THC, which, you know, generally makes them very strong. Uh, certainly it uh, has an impact on the high for sure, but also has an impact on the uh, psychotic impact, the, the psychotic um, involvement or the potential for uh, spinning your mental health out of control because of the, the high levels of THC. So if you're trying marijuana for the first time, you're a young person, you know young people, perhaps recommend that they lean more towards something that's kind of 50-50 CBD and THC, lower lower concentration of THC in the marijuana strains that they choose uh, might make it a little easier for them to tolerate it and perhaps not find themselves in some uncomfortable mental health position and uh, even worse, right? We're talking about right now, if you're just joining in, we're talking about food waste, food insecurity. Uh, I remember as a kid, you know, my mom would say, uh, you know, if you don't feed, if you don't eat up all your food and you're throwing out that food, you're, you know, you could be feeding starving kids in Africa. I think she actually said by Afra, I think was the things in the old days, you know, there's kids starving in Biafra and you could, uh, you could be changing their lives if you ate all of your food. And, you know, we never really took it seriously, you know, at the table, we weren't really talking too much about uh, food insecurity. It wasn't a thing we worried about in those days. We, we, you know, we did okay. We didn't have to uh, look to uh, saving food to try to get through the next day. We're probably uh, more arrogant and cocky than we should have been. Uh, but looking back now, we wasted a lot of food. There's actually 60% of all food products in Canada is wasted. About 30% of all food products produced globally is wasted. People are throwing out 79, let's just say here, the average Canadian throws away 79 kilos of food every year, while the average American discards 55 kilos of food. Um, and this is a, a research according to Second Harvest. And, you know, what, we're, what I'm trying to understand here is in today's day and age, why are you throwing out anything? You know, you, you can freeze stuff, you can dry, you can, you can bag stuff, you can keep stuff in the fridge for another time. You can share it with others that, that need the food, share it with neighbors, take it to your local church group or whatever. Lots of ways to use your food, but throwing it out 
is is a crime. As a matter of fact, just without getting too religious, there's something in part of the stuff that I've learned years ago in in in, in some of the uh, mystical teachings I've learned as it relates to the Old Testament. And there's something in there that talks about if you throw out your food, it's like throwing out your income. It's like throwing out your ability to make a living. So when you throw out food, you're, you're potentially throwing out the blessings. If you even think like that, I'm not suggesting that you do. Uh, the blessings that you get for additional food, for a different additional money to buy things. So throwing out food is, in those days it was manna, right? So it's supposed to fall from the sky, so to speak. Um, you throw out your manna, you're throwing out your cash. It's the same thing. Um, I have a guest this evening, Madison McGuire. Director of Ontario Operations for Second Harvest, um, a huge organization, really impactful in trying to make sure that we end food waste. Um, and uh, we're going to talk with with them about that. Now, Madison, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's really, you know, it, it, we sit here in 2023 and I just keep shaking my head. It's kind of like still, you know, hearing about people that drink and drive. It's hard to believe that with all the smarts that we have and all the knowledge that we have, that we're still wasting food. What, what actually qualifies as food waste, according to you and your organization? Sure, yeah. So we actually kind of have two terms for it. So we, we call overall total what we waste food waste. But we also specify that there's something called avoidable food waste. And that's actually what we as an organization are most interested in. So this is any food that's, you know, produced here and gone through our food system and doesn't end up in with the consumer. So uh, for whatever reason, somewhere along the supply chain from farm all the way to either grocery store or hotel or restaurant, uh, that food didn't make it there. And so we call that avoidable. It ends up uh, sometime in organic waste, but often, too often in landfill. And so that's what we're most interested in trying to rescue is that food there. Yeah, so we're talking about food that's wasted, not wasted, but spoiled perhaps on, on a truck that's maybe sitting too long or in a warehouse that's maybe sitting too long or people that over over uh, uh, over order or, you know, order more than they need. I also read about some stuff where, you know, actual farmers, actual producers of product may not be able to get to their their crops and stuff in time to actually get all of it off. That's also considered, uh, I think, avoidable waste, correct? Yeah, exactly. There's such a kind of plethora of reasons that, that it happens. But one of the things I think that's most shocking to people when they learn a bit more about our organization is that the food that we're rescuing is perfectly great surplus food. So, you know, I think often people might think it might be something, you know, rotting or things. Absolutely not. It's something that any of us would be uh, happy happy to eat and as you said uh, a kind of few different reasons just you know uh, supply chain issues uh, yeah over ordering uh, best before dates are a big thing that causes a lot of food waste so uh, that's where we want to make sure we can rescue that food and get it to those that, that need it so maybe give us a, a quick overview on second harvest for those that don't know uh, about your organization that's probably a good thing to do yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we are Canada's largest uh, food rescue organization, and we operate many different programs, uh, including including the Second Harvest Food Rescue app. It's national, and what it does is it connects uh, local businesses that have surplus food uh, with a local charity or nonprofit. So that could be anything from a shelter, an after-school program, a newcomer residence. And we have a dual mission. So ours is of hunger relief and environmental protection. So we're wanting to keep uh, surplus food out of landfill and also make sure that it's redirected to charities and nonprofits across the country that support people uh, facing food insecurity. 
And how are you able to get this food moved around? I guess I guess your app allows people to connect in local, like you're talking about local connections, right? Because I would think the shipping of something that's kind of already getting close to its, uh, not, you know, not best use date, um, that would be, you know, you can't really waste much time in shipping it. So we're talking about local producers to local charities, correct? Yeah, exactly. So we, uh, the the online platform is able to do that uh, connection and then the charity nonprofit would pick it up itself. And then the other area that we really have expertise in is logistics. So uh, uh-huh. we focus a lot on rescuing uh, perishable food. So that's the protein, dairy and produce categories, which are the most expensive uh, for people to buy, but also the most you know nutrient dense and environmentally harmful if wasted. Uh, so we here in Toronto have a warehouse and a fleet of trucks. So we pick up surplus food and we also coordinate logistics across the country uh, to move large surplus food to a whole network of charities and nonprofits. So it's a lot of collaboration uh, with, uh, with other organizations to make sure that surplus food uh, you know, a, gets, gets eaten and used. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, how much does food wastage actually play into climate change and pollution? I mean, a, a great, a great deal. I, you know, if food is left to rot in landfill, it contributes significantly to climate change by releasing harmful methane gas into the atmosphere. Methane is powerful greenhouse gas, which is 25 times more potent than carbon, di- carbon dioxide. My apologies. And so um, in the last year, we as an organization have averted 162 million pounds of greenhouse gases uh, by rescuing that food. So uh, and then not to mention all the other resources that go into growing food. So every time you waste food, you're also wasting all of the water, transport, uh, you know, land production and everything else that goes into that. So uh, it's incredibly important. So we're talking about food insecurity. We're talking about wasted food. We're talking about all kinds of stuff. And by the way, on April 26th, it's Stop Food Waste Day. Such a really good day to make sure you eat everything on the table or double purpose, second purpose it for somebody else. Repurpose it, I think is the word I'm looking for. Uh, but if you want to understand, we, we, I have a guest here with me this evening, Madison McGuire. She's the director of operations, Second Harvest uh, in Ontario. Uh, but listen to uh, Lori Nichols. She is the CEO of Second Harvest. And I want to hear, I want you to hear what the, what she says at the front of the House of Commons Commons about eliminating the best before dates because that's kind of where I get stuck, right? Um, I, I look at those best before dates because of my OCD and I just get focused on on those dates. But as it turns out, I think it's more of a, a sales thing and, and a marketing thing than it really is a, a caution thing. But have a listen to what Lori Nickel has to say. I recommend that this committee investigate the impact that eliminating best before dates would have on Canadians. Best before dates are wildly wildly misunderstood. They are not expiry dates. They refer to a product's peak freshness. So while Canadians struggle to put food on the table, they are also convinced that best before dates are about safety and will throw away perfectly good food to protect themselves and their families. Madison McGuire, thank you for being with me and sticking through the uh, through the uh, uh, the advertising uh, stuff that we just had to go through there. Listen, um, the best before dates. I got to tell you, I'm all over it. Like, tell me, help me understand what it really means and why it's probably causing us more harm than good. Sure. Yeah. So the thing goes best before, not bad after. So uh, a common misconception <laughs> about best before dates is that uh, they're an indicator of food safety, but uh, the best before dates are not 
regulated by the government. So the dates are actually put on food by the manufacturers. Uh, and we only have five foods uh, in Canada that actually expire. And those are all things like um, baby formula or meal replacement foods, uh, something where somebody's, you know, a prescription food where you're medically getting those uh, calories. Otherwise, everything else is a best before date. Uh, so uh, we always say as long as you're storing your food correctly. Uh, so, for example, if you have yogurt, it's in the fridge. Uh, if it's unopened, it's uh, totally okay to eat after. And if people are interested on our website, we have a best before timetable that we developed in conjunction with public health. And you can see there, you know, all the different categories of food and when you're okay uh, to consume after. And of course, we always say use your senses. So, you know, uh, your uh, smell. smell test is the best one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, how do people find that website? Give it to me quickly. Sure. Yeah. So our website is just uh, secondharvest.ca. And we have a whole education and training program on there uh, with even a 10-minute little kind of uh, webinar you can do about uh, Best Before Date specifically. So a lot of information for people who are interested in learning a bit more. So, for example, help me out here. So my cottage cheese that says that it's it's, it's up on the 24th of April, or Best Before Date is the 24th of April. I got another week, I figured, by the smell of it and by the looks of it. It's always refrigerated. Um, I've, I've gone three, four, five days past the date without any fear, really. Um, I'm safe to do so, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, as I said, it's just about, you know, storing the foods correctly where they are. And especially if they're not even opened yet, uh, then yeah. absolutely. Um, but, yeah, that's a big misconception. So, a lot of people think as soon as you hit that date, I have to throw the food out. But so that's causing a huge amount of unnecessary food waste. That's great. Great education. Really appreciate you sharing that. I certainly feel better for sure. So if food waste is so high, how is it possible that we have such a food insecurity issue? It doesn't it doesn't yeah, match so, up, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean that's part of why we have that dual mission. Um right now we're facing this affordability crisis and uh have actually many people facing food insecurity for the first time. And that's putting a big strain on our charitable food sector. So um, we did a survey with our network and in 2002, they saw these organizations on unprecedented 134% increase in demand. Uh, So that's why it's so important for us to make sure we rescue that food and get it to those who need it. So it's really a big piece of it is kind of the logistics for us and making sure we're, we're kind of matching that up. Um, But yeah, that's one of the most difficult parts is that we have such high food waste an environmental impact, and at the same time, this increasing need. Yeah, it doesn't 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 line up. So somebody said to me, I was when I was talking about doing this, having this interview with you tonight, and talking about this whole uh, idea of food wastage and insecurity. Somebody said, you know, if you're on a budget, you're better off to buy your fruits and vegetables in a can than you are to buy them fresh because fresh has a much uh, uh, um, shorter shelf life than it does if it's canned or packaged or you know. Um, vacuum sealed or whatever um is that is that a fair statement or is that not accurate well i would say we we definitely try to do education uh with our network around you know the best way to eat on a budget and i would say uh one of the things we always say is that if you have uh, access to a freezer that's you know one of the best things for preventing food waste um so and you know anything that you have that you can put in there or even if you're able to you know get Frozen vegetables are absolutely okay, too, because, yeah, one of the problems that consumers face is, you know, what you buy at the grocery store goes into your fridge and sometimes doesn't all uh, get to uh, beaten and thrown away, which um, is, of course, important for us on an individual level to be working on. 
Um, but we're obviously also pushing for uh, more system change that we can have to kind of prevent that food waste that's happening uh, a great deal earlier along in the supply chain. So on April the 26th, it's Stop Food Waste Day. I know you got stuff planned, but you got a huge rescue party coming uh, in June. Can you tell us about that, how to, how to get tickets? And I understand there's going to be some VIPs there, the whole kind of the purpose of the event. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, it's called the Rescue Party. And it's a new, epic new event where there's going to be unlimited food and drink uh, from more than 30 of Toronto's hottest restaurants. And there will also be a live performance by Sam Roberts, and Cardinal Fischel is hosting, and we even have a few more exciting additions that they haven't announced yet. So that's Sunday, June 4th at Meridian Hall in Toronto, and it's going to be just a great night, food, music, all for a worthy cause. And if people want to learn more or buy tickets, uh, the website is therescueparty.ca. And you figure you're making a difference? I, I, I think so, yeah. We hope so. More and more every day. Amazing. I'm talking to Madison McGuire, the Director of Operations in Ontario for Second Harvest, certainly somebody uh, at their best, and her team is entirely at their best. And we're talking about ways to avoid uh, food wastage. Do you think kids are a little more angry today than they were before the pandemic? Any of the kids in your life, anybody you know, just a little nastier, perhaps don't have the kind of patience that maybe they used to have and just a little snarkier. I mean, some of that's just being a kid, right? I mean, since kids just aren't really happy with anybody, generally speaking, when they're growing up and they're not happy with themselves, it's hard to be happy with anyone else. But we're, we're finding that increased time online during the pandemic may have caused many young Canadians to be just a little meaner. Uh, and that's a research study. Um, and it's warning that the declining empathy uh, which emerged during the isolation period, is now fostering increased cruelty during in-person interactions, including at school. Um, there, uh, Caitlin Mendez, she's an associate professor at the University of Western Ontario, said that during an Ontario Medical Association press conference, many parents may not be aware of their children's increased exposure to online harassment during the tem pandemic, which is now having damaging consequences. So if you're exposed to negative and ugly, you start to sound and talk and be negative and ugly, right? Teachers really, really noted that as young people were coming back into school, that the way the young people were communicating with each other during lockdown had changed. And they found that their empathy had really kind of decreased, according to Mendez, who's a sociologist and um, involved in the study. It's likely to do to things like lack of eye contact, facial expressions, according to the experts, uh, human touch. But basically, kids just got pissed off. With not being able to go to school, not being able to see their friends, not being able to, you know, get out of the house and do what kids like to do, especially away from family, away from parents, having their own private time. They lost a lot of that during the pandemic, as we all did, right? And imagine how angry and upset you were, and perhaps still are, as a result of all of that. Kids even more so, because for some reason they feel, and probably true, they have a, a, a quieter voice than we do. You know, they don't, they can't stand up and yell like adults do in terms of being unhappy with the way a certain thing is. They're kind of stuck with it being as it is, right? So in a study, 96% of British youth between the ages of 13 to 18, teachers and parents said that they used more social media during the pandemic. Uh, reporters were uh, told that uh, there's, there's an expectation that similar findings in the Canadian study uh, is also... Um, uh, likely once it's complete. The British youth the youths that were surveyed 
reported that more time online led to an increase in their experience of sexual harassment, misogyny, racism, homophobia, and even various forms of fraud, uh, body shaming, things like that. And in the UK, young people also cited uh, increased uh, anxiety and depression and even various forms of self-harm. Uh, I have John on the phone from Winnipeg who's going to chime in on uh, how he feels about kids, whether they're angry or, or not. Hey, John, thanks for calling. How are you? Yeah, good. Uh, good evening. Uh, great show. Uh, keep up the good work. I was just uh, calling about your uh, assessment of children and uh, uh, teenagers with uh, violence. And I guess there's a connection to the uh, video games right now, that uh, gaming, you know, all the types of first shooter games, and uh, a lot of these games are promoted as a as a fun uh, a fun way of entertaining yourself, but really they're not they're uh, causing damage to our children. And if you go back to El Capone and all the you look after First World War, you know, all the fathers died in the First World War. There's the sons turned into gangsters like Pretty Boy Floyd, Bonnie yeah. uh, Clyde. After the Second World War, the same thing happened. All the greasers. You know, after the Vietnam War, the same thing happened. We had the serial killers come out. But the you know all these these all these wars and everything. The pandemic now has affected the children. They turned to video games and now they've turned to violence because they had no parents. The parents passed away during the COVID, from the COVID virus, and single right. mothers have raised right. their kids. Even, you know, they, they can't have a single parent anymore. You can't raise a child without damaging that child. It has been yeah. gone through history. Uh, throughout history, we've seen the damage done to uh, all these different generations, how they turned you know, out. That's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent point, John. I really appreciate you calling. Thanks for calling in, and thanks for being a listener. John raises a really good point. You know, the, the violence that some of these kids are, are seeing and being exposed to in video games and through video games, uh, I think he raises an, an excellent point, and uh, really happy that he was able to chime in and share with us. So uh, let's continue on here a little bit. So the challenge, challenges of confinement uh, also made it more difficult. You know, uh, the whole educational system, um, you know, kind of locked it down for kids. So teen and anger, um, teenage anger is a thr- a thing of, uh, it's kind of a thing of legends, right? The stereotype of an eye-rolling, door-slamming, rebellious adolescent is just something often played off for laughs. But if you're a parent dealing with a kid like that, it's not something to laugh about. It's anything but funny. You know, bitter outbursts and unpredictable mood swings, frequent battles about everything from school to food to clothes to whatever, right? I want you to listen to just a clip, just to make a little light of this, a a clip from The Symptoms where Marge is trying to reassure Homer that uh, kids can be so cruel. But when Bart hears it, he thinks it's a go-ahead to be mean to his sister. Have a quick listen to this. Kids can be so cruel. We can? Thanks, Mom. <laughs> yeah, it's not the idea to give him permission, but it's and it's okay to be angry. According to Lauren uh, Allerand, she's a um, a doctor, a psychologist uh, at Child Mind Institute. It's not necessarily a bad thing when kids have anger. I tell my patients all the time that anger is one of the emotions that you need to have. It's a question of how you use it, how you vent it, and if you're able to, you know, vent your anger in a way that is is productive. In other words. Um, one of the ways I like people to, to, to vent their anger is uh, through writing. So writing in your journal, you know, I'm angry about this. I'm angry about that. This bothers me. That bothers me. Taking their physical anger out on a heavy bag or some form of physical exercise versus punching your, or, or, or pounding a wall or hurting yourself or someone else. I'm a big believer in things as simple as bang, getting a big bag of nails and a hammer and a piece of wood and banging it, banging nails into a piece of wood when you're feeling angry is another great way 
to get it out of your system. But parents should strive to see teenage anger not as something to be dispelled or overcome, but as a normal part of being a person. Our job to help kids understand why they're angry, to ask the right questions, to find out where the feelings are come from. Being able to decode their anger is what the experts say. Decode their anger. What's causing it? Where's it coming from? It can be something as simple as somebody at school, you know, caused them to be upset or angry or they broke up with their boyfriend or girlfriend or, their, or something happened with a teacher where they were called out and made to feel bad. You know, lots of different things cause young people, cause any of us, frankly, to feel irritable and have mood swings and have outbursts, right? So with kids, it's a lot harder to control. So if you notice that your teenager or the teenager in your life has been a little angrier and more irritable than usual, don't just skirt the issue. Instead, let them know that you've noticed by saying, hey, you know what, I noticed you're a little edgy these days. Is everything okay? There's a way to ask it without making them feel bad about it. I can tell you're feeling a little upset. I'd really like to help in some way. Yeah, can we make some time to talk when it's convenient for you? These are things you can say to your children. If your child seems resistant, take a step back and wait. Give him time to breathe, but leave the door open. Don't force it. Instead, recommend something like, I can see you're really angry right now, so maybe we won't talk now, we'll talk later. Want to go for a burger? Want to go for a milkshake? So distracted thinking is also a big thing that you can help with, right? Take them somewhere that might be their happy place. Validate and show respect for their feelings. Well, you know, I have lots of parents that say, Oh, they got nothing to be angry about. They got everything going for them. You know, they got a credit card. They go to a good school. They got nice clothes. They go to this. They have that. That's not validating or showing respect for your kids and for the fact that they actually feel bad about something. It's very important that you, you provide some validation and show respect for their feelings. And make sure you check in with yourself. Make sure you understand how you're feeling and that your anger isn't something that might be uh, manifesting itself towards your children. They might be picking it up from you in the way that you you know, um, man, you know, model your own behavior. So check with yourself, take a break. And if you know that you're having a real problem with your kids and with their anger, make sure you seek the help that's necessary. Don't try to handle it on your own because you're trying to be a super parent. Kids need help. And if they need help, they need you to, you need to get the help for them at a time and in a way and in a place that's uh, effective and will make a difference. We're going to continue in our uh, along our um, with our series here on making kids champions. Uh, we've gone through a bunch of stuff in terms of the things you need to give to your children and um, give them affection and attention and consistency, hope, and some of the things that you need to teach them, right? Like nutrition and finance, uh, a little bit about how to handle money, exercise, sleep, a bunch of things. But another thing that's really important to teach your children in terms of uh, on their way to greatness teach them a little bit about your family history. Uh, perhaps share some stories of some great things that happen uh, with relatives of yours, you know, like a great, you know, Uncle Bill that did something great when he was in high school or in college and maybe set some record or, you know, something really cool and interesting. Um, let your kids know that they come from a lineage of greatness. And even if some of the greatness might not be perceived by them as great, certainly the way you tell your story uh, makes it that much better, that much more meaningful, and they will see it and perceive it in a in a greater uh, frame, in the frame of greatness, so to speak. Teach them manners. Teaching your kids manners is a really important thing for them to understand that there's a right way and a wrong way to do things in a social setting. In particular, I'm talking about simple things like don't pick your nose. 
eat with a fork, not your fingers, depending, of course, on the food. Making sure that if you, you know, if you burp at the table, you know, excuse yourself. And, and you know, it sounds like this doesn't, you know, like, what's he talking about? You know, you're looking at me going, Yona, this is all, all basic stuff. Well, you'd think so, right? When's the last time you went to a restaurant, a family restaurant, and just kind of looked around? I did it about a week ago, and I was disgusted with what parents let their kids get away from, get away with. Like, it's just, it's it's rude, frankly. In a public environment, it's rude to do some of the things that parents let their kids get away with. And the reason I think we do that is that we just don't want to get into a hassle, especially in the middle of a restaurant. So teach your kid manners, teach them, teach them to understand that, you know, by showing good manners, it, it really makes them look better, more, more, uh, you know, the way I taught my kids was, you know, if you're going to go to Billy's house for dinner, uh, it's best that you know which fork to use and so on and so forth. And, you know, they continue today to pretty much know the right way to eat and the wrong way to eat. Um, you know, don't chew with your mouth open, things like that. I mean, it's all old fashioned stuff. When I say old fashioned, meaning, you know, we learned it when I was a kid, but this makes a difference. These are, these are ways to continue to ensure that your kids are going to come out like champions. Teach your children compassion and how to respect others. Understanding that there are other people that are out there that may not have the same fortunes and the same benefits and the same um, you know, uh, the same niceties that they may have in life. And, you know, I, I, I was not far, uh, I was downtown about a week and a half ago and walking into a building and I saw a couple of young kids, uh, maybe 10, 11, uh, 10, 11, 12, that age with, with like what looked like their mother, maybe I'm wrong, but some female caregiver. And, um, you know, they were making fun of the homeless guy because he was, he was making funny noises. And I didn't see the mother lean in and say, it's not appropriate to do that. And of course, not my job to do it, but it's that kind of stuff. That's the kind of way that you teach your kids to become champions is by all these little things like having manners, you know, feeling good about themselves, you know, sticking up for others, uh, not making fun of people who are, or you're not as fortunate as they are and so on. Teach them to appreciate other people as well. Make sure they understand what it means, what service means. When they're in a restaurant, for example, we keep coming back to restaurants, you'd say, oh, Yona, you spend all this time in restaurants. No, not so much, but it's a good public place to kind of share with you some observations. So, um, you know, teaching kids, young people in particular, t- children, teenagers, that people that are serving you, that they need to show respect for the people that serve them. And unfortunately, if you look around at adults in a lot of restaurants, you know, I, I often shake my head and say, say to myself, would it have been so bad if the guy would have said please or thank you? Like the, the general things of please and thank you and I appreciate you and all that, um, we just seem not to be concentrating on that so much anymore. And I think it's a really big thing to concentrate on, especially if you're trying to teach your kid to be a champion, a champion in life. Respect other people. Appreciate the job that other people are doing. Appreciate what, what first responders do and provide. Appreciate that the school crossing guard is there to save your life and keep you safe and healthy, right? So um, appreciating other people, appreciate their service. Teach your kids some patience. Very difficult to do with teenagers. But some little semblance of patience, you know, little bits of, of patience. Okay, let's just wait. Let's wait five more minutes. Not big pieces of time, large, you know, large uh, lengths of time, large uh, periods of time, but, you know, in little bit pieces, right? Okay, let's see if we can just, let's just relax for five more minutes and see if we can just ride this out, right? Making sure that you teach them 
some uh, some patients uh, is also tied in very well to the kind of service that they get from people. In the doctor's office, for example, I was in a doctor's office not long ago, and I saw a kid tugging on his mom. He was about 11 or 12, bugging his mom that the doctor wasn't there yet, and how much longer do I have to wait? And, and maybe kids need to learn and understand that the healthcare system is over overburdened and the doctor has to see lots of people. I mean, it sounds like an excuse to a kid, but it's the truth. And maybe the truth is the place to start. One of the other ways that you make sure that your kids are going to be champions is to know, know what's going on in their life. Know who their teachers are. Make sure you show up for the teacher interviews if your kids are that young. And if they're older than that, make sure that you're part of what they got going on in their life. If they're in college or university, ask them to share with you. Some For some reason, p- parents feel that once their kids are out of high school, out of public school, so to speak, or out of high school, they don't have to kind of keep track anymore. And let me tell you that that's not the case at all. That's exactly the time when you want to focus on making sure that you do keep track. You know who their teachers are. Know who their coaches are. More importantly, know who their friends are. Make sure you understand who your friends are, who they hang out with, who are their favorite pals. Where do they go when they need somebody to hang out with, when they're looking for a place to feel better about themselves? Who do they go to for that? Who's the person in their life that they need to go to to feel that, whether it's Bobby or Janie or Billy or, you know, know, the gym teacher at school or the guidance counselor, somebody. It's usually not a parent, unfortunately, but there's someone outside of their lives need to know who those people are. Understand your kids' schedules. Don't be surprised by all the things they have going on. Just try to understand them better. Try to understand what their schedules are, where they come from, and what makes up their schedule, what's urgent and what's not urgent. Make sure you also understand to some degree, know a little bit about their dreams. What do they want? What are their kids looking for in life? And these are all the things that you can do. There's many more, and we'll continue to share with it uh, uh, in the weeks to come. There's more stuff to share in this same regard. All kinds of things you can do to make sure that your kids are going to be the best that they can be, the greatest of all time that they can be. Lots of great stuff to talk about tonight, so glad that you could stick around and be a part of it. The song coming in, What I Wouldn't Do, the fabulous tune that's all about the new launch from Kids Help Phone, uh, helping people feel out loud, talk out loud, make that whole transition from keeping everything quiet when you're not feeling so great to coming out and kind of screaming about it, not really, but through the song, giving people the empowerment and the strength that they need to go out and share um, what they're feeling and how they're feeling both in a good way and, a, and, and maybe not feeling so good. Right. So feel out loud. It's a $300 million fundraising effort. Uh, it's kicking off with transformable gifts from the, um, from their founding partners and the star studded Anthem. What I wouldn't do uh, by artists to feel out loud, supporting kids, cell phone amplifies mental health conversation and empowers young people to feel it out loud. It's a historic national movement never been done before anchoring by a fundraising campaign with a goal of raising 300 million to reach young people in every corner of Canada by 2024, by expanding its access to e-mental health services and so on. Uh, young people have connected with more, more than 14 million times with kids help phones since the pandemic began. It's Canada's only national free confidential 24 seven multilingual 
e-mental health service dedicated to youth and sometimes to adults as well. My, uh, just so you know a little bit about what they're going to do with the cash, they're going to expand clinical services across Canada, scaling access to mental health services. They're going to close the mental health equity gap for youth in Canada, which is a big thing, making sure that everybody has access to it. As a matter of fact, those that are more uh, isolated, in fact, probably need access to this maybe more, if not equally as much as someone anywhere else in the country, um, and transform Canada's e-mental health landscape. So this is a fabulous movement, an opportunity to, to share out loud the great work that uh, Kids Help Phone is doing. My guest this evening is a good friend. Her name is Elisa Simon, and she's the executive president of e-mental health and transformation. At Chief, also, she's the chief youth officer at Kids Help Phone. Elisa, thank you so much for being here with us this evening. How are you doing? I am doing great. It's always nice to be with you, Yona. It's a pleasure. Thank you. You know, it's so great to be here because every time you and I talk, there's great stuff to talk about. You know, people want to know, you know, in conversation with Kids Help Phone, it's always, you know, maybe we're talking about some of the, the dra- drastic and, and, and scary situations, some of the, 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 the more difficult things that youth are dealing with. And we'll get to that in a minute. But you guys are doing a kick-ass job, if I'm allowed to say that, um, in terms of making Kids Help Phone a thing that people want to be a part of. They want to talk about it. They want to share. New logo looks amazing. If you, if you all haven't seen it, you need to find it. Uh, Uh, the whole song, the image, the thing around what I wouldn't do. Um, Tell me a little bit about how you got here. Yeah, it has been quite the journey. Uh, The reality is, is we knew that our brand needed to change. Young people have been trusting us for, you know, almost 34 years. They come to us, they trust us. But more and more, we were seeing this disconnect between young people's experience. We all lived through this international pandemic Um, the services and supports that we were offering and what we were asking young people to do, which is to have the courage to reach out to us. And so we did tons of focus groups and conversations with young people. And we landed on this beautiful idea of Feel Out Loud. Um, And I love how you were talking about it, Yona, that, you know, it is really about no problem is too big or too small, but we have to let it out. However that sounds, if it's screaming, if it's drawing, if it's dancing, We all have to recognize and feel out loud everything that we're feeling to lead a really full life. Um, And that's kind of how how this all came about. And it's been an incredible reaction from young people as well as educators and adults across Canada who I think are really resonating with this new brand uh, and this new idea of what Kids Health Phone is and what we can be. So did that happen around a boardroom table with you and your crew? Uh, people need to understand the Kids Help Phone is run by some amazing uh, individuals. Everyone that I've met is uh, top of their game for sure. Your colleagues, I'm sitting around or, or uh, just a marketing company that came up with it. Like, how did you come up with something that just seems to fit so brilliantly? So, you know, it's magic that I don't fully understand, but certainly <laughs> there are, you know, brand companies. We did work with an amazing one uh, named McCann, um, but it starts with what's the core of who we are yeah. and what are young people going through and how do we kind of bring those together? And so it is a process of the board has involvement, staff has involvement because they have to feel that it makes sense to them. But at the end of the day, it's about young people and how young people are going to experience and view the work that we do. Because if young people don't trust us, if they're not reaching out, then we're not doing our our job, right? And that all came together just in this beautiful new uh, brand. But then as you were saying, the the song, our anthem, um, you know, is just this incredible movement. Uh, So Serena Ryder and uh, Leela Gilday came together and they did a mashup of their song. So what I wouldn't do, North Star Calling, the combination of these two songs 
And it is a beautiful representation of hope and of Kids Help Phone being there for every young person to feel out loud. And how are you going to measure success? How are you guys going to know how well you've done? And at what point do you start looking at that? So we've been looking from the very beginning. Uh, success is a combination of things. For me, as someone who's always thinking about young people, it's are we seeing increases in young people reaching out? Are we seeing more visits to our website, more calls and texts, connection with our peer-to-peer service? But as you mentioned, this is also part of a $300 million fundraising movement. And it is the largest movement for youth mental health in Canada's history. So it is also about how many adults are reaching out? How many more supporters do we have? How many more volunteers do we have signing up? So we have a lot of metrics to look at success. Um, and we'll be measuring that over the next few months into the next few years as we continue to see this brand and identity grow and resonate with people. So you see this as a reoccurring movement. This is not something you're writing out just for 2023 into 2024. You see this as something you can continue to 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 uh, spin from and, and grow through, or next year do you have to come up with something equally cool? So certainly this, you know, the Feel Out Loud movement is going to take us through the end of 2024. And then we'll have to see, right? The, the reality, as you know, and, and so many of your listeners know, I mean, young people are changing faster than ever. And technology is changing even faster. And so if Kids Help Phone wants to be the go-to place, we have to be consistently looking at what we offer, how we offer it, and how we appear to young people. And so that means revisiting our brand, revisiting how what we look like, how we get to young people. So I think that the Feel Out Loud um, brand identity and the movement has legs for time, you know, a long time. Um, but I also want to be open to the fact that at the end of the day, it's, does it resonate with young people? And we have to be checking in on that in 2024, in 2025, and moving forward. So to what way, in what way do you engage with young people, if at all, to come up with this plan? So for the Feel Out Loud movement um, and for the new rebrand, there were a lot of focus groups, a lot of conversations. We have quite a few youth councils at Kids Help Phone. Um, we have a general youth council. We have one that is fully made up of Indigenous peoples, Black young people, as well as newcomers. So we really wanted to make sure that the brand resonated not only with, you know, urban white young people, but that we were looking at indigenous and, you know, Inuit, Métis yeah. and First Nations, yeah. black youth. We really wanted to think about the diversity of young people across Canada and the diversity of our service users, because we know large percentage of our users come from equity deserving populations, come from rural areas to us LGBTQ plus. So when we talk about, you know, co-design, and conversations with youth, it is always thinking about that wide diversity. How do we get them to the table, get their ideas, test with them, and co-create? My guest this evening is Elisa Simon. She's the executive president of eMental Health Transformation and chief youth chief, excuse me, youth officer with Kids Help Phone. We're talking about the Feel Out Loud movement and the phenomenal song, What I Wouldn't Do, and how that's changed the whole conversation. Alisa, before we went to break, we started chatting a little bit. I kind of shared with the audience on the way out to break um, some of the things that some of these kids are reaching out to. How serious is the problem? I mean, I know it as from a therapist's perspective, but the, my guests, uh, my, my audience out there, uh, how serious is the problem? Is it as big, as big an issue as we think it is or even worse? Well, I would say, I mean, we continue to see more and more and more young people who are really struggling with their mental and emotional health. 
I mean, as you mentioned at the beginning, we've had young people reach out over 14 million times since the pandemic began. And that's huge. I also want to say, though, that not everybody that's reaching out is reaching out in something that is a clinical mental illness. What we really talk to young people about is, again, there's no problem too big. There's no problem too small. And to me, Yona, when a young person picks up the phone or they text or they come to our peer-to-peer platform, it's a moment of hope because what they are doing is they're having the courage to say, I'm struggling with something. And we have this incredible opportunity to help them think through it, to give them tools, to have them talk through it. So I would say, yes, there is a mental health crisis. And it is not all doom and gloom because we have tools to be able to help young people work through these challenges. Amazing, right? It's the sharing the, you know, it's one thing to share the problem. It's another thing to be able to share the solution in the same conversation. What role do institutions like schools uh, and extracurricular extracurricular clubs and such, what role do they play either with you in this process or are they an extension of the kind of work you're trying to do? Well, the reality is for us to be able to reach young people, we have to work a lot with schools, with after-school programs, with sports clubs. So we're looking for any place where young people spend their time as a place where they would be hearing about Kids Help Phone. And let's be honest, I mean, coaches, um, program coordinators, they don't have the tools necessary to talk to young people about mental health challenges. And so we want them to be able to tell young people to call Kids Help Phone, go on the website with young people. Um, And so those relationships for us are really important. And, you know, the most important thing is those relationships are critical to young people young people find often real strength in the relationships that they have with their coaches, with their program managers, um, with their teachers. And so the more that those adults trust us, that those adults see us as a place to come, the more they'll be making those referrals and helping young people feel safe to come to us. Talking to Elisa Simon, Executive President of eMental Health and Transformation and the youth, uh, Chief Youth Officer with uh, Kids Help Phone. By the way, to reach out to them, 800-668-6868 or text them at Connect, which is 686868-247 and get the help that's needed. Pass it on to your children. Or if you're concerned about your children, make the call yourself. They'll give you some guidance for sure. Uh, Elisa, the, the, is it? Is there more you think that parents and, or guardians can be doing in terms of where we are today uh, with kids' um, mental health and, and youth mental health? Do you see that there's a void uh, there or some maybe recommendations you could make to parents being a parent yourself? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is parenting's tough, right? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't come with a guidebook. We all wish it did. There's lots of books to read, but When it is your own kid, it's really hard. And so the first thing is I just give parents permission to to recognize that it's hard and we don't always know the answers. Um, The big thing we talk about is notice if any behavior is changing with young people in your lives. Listen to them. And I can tell you as a parent, it's hard to listen sometimes because you're like, are the dishes done? Are you ready for bed? 
But there are cues that our kids give us that they're not feeling okay. There's questions that they ask. There's behaviors that they exhibit. And it's our job as parents to take those seriously. It doesn't mean we need to know all the answers, but listen for those cues, watch for those cues, help connect your kids to services like Kids Help Phone, and let them know that they can talk to us safely and you don't need to know. That's the other thing is to give your kids permission to reach out to someplace like us and you back off particularly depending on their age, as they yeah. get into the tweens and teeny years, yeah. they need more autonomy. Yeah. Um, so those are a few of my tips as a parent myself. So I'm going to take this a little bit personal and I hope I, you know, I'm not taking you somewhere you don't want to be, but here it goes. Anyway, uh, you're a parent. I know you're an excellent parent. I, I know, I know you, I know, you know, you're a little bit about your family. Uh, you hear the stories you hear, from the crew out there, you've got you know thousands of people out there working with these millions of interactions. Um, do you come home at the end of the day and give your kids an extra hug because you feel concerned and thrilled that they're okay, but maybe others aren't? How does it impact you as a parent doing the kind of work that you're doing currently? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think I'm probably more attuned to some of the the challenges. And I think that my, my daughter would tell you sometimes like, oh, you know, why do you know so much about social media that you won't <laughs> let me have it, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, in some ways I probably am uh, stricter than I would be if I didn't know some of the challenges that young people are facing. But again, the work that any of us do with young people is very different than with our families. We are... It is harder when it's your own kid going through challenges. It's harder because you feel like you should know answers and you don't. And that's true for every parent. Um, and I would say I certainly experienced that with, with uh, my daughter um, in the same kind of ways as every other parent does. Even though I've got the literature, I've done the trainings, um, <laughs> it just is different. Yeah, it's different when it's you and versus your kids, right? Uh, let them hear from somebody else. Uh, I'm talking to my friend, Elisa Simon. She's the executive president of E uh, Mental Health Transformation and the chief youth officer.